a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Hey, I'm guessing that at some level you are a truth seeker. And maybe a daring enough truth seeker that you're willing to actually encounter and experience truth that sometimes hurts. Well, it's true. It does. (laughs) Anyway, I'm glad you're uh, tuned in today. I'm going to make it worth your while. I've got some great stuff to share with you. I want to mention my sponsors who make this possible on a day-to-day basis. They include HSLAmmo.com, MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, and GarageDoorPros.com. So here's what's on tap today. We're going to be talking about the best way to make sure that children fail. Oh, I know. We want our kids to fail. You'll have to hear the article and have to, to consider this for yourself. But yes, there's a right way to fail. We'll talk a little bit about the five stages of baloney and how to recognize when that's what you're being sold. Dan Sanchez has a marvelous article about uh, how sometimes we can become intellectual authoritarians. Psh, hand goes up, guilty. I Now I know something. I want everybody else to know this too. He's got a great essay about becoming a keysmith for liberty. We'll explore what uh, also explains the modern hostility to the family. And I got a great essay from The Good Citizen on misgendering tyranny and how it eventually will be stopped. That's actually where I'm going to begin today. But before I go there, I want to just mention something that's been going on in Idaho, where I live. And it's not just in Idaho. I've I've seen this um, last weekend. Provo, Utah had a great big family-friendly, I'm putting this in big air quotes, family-friendly drag show for kids and families. And kids were encouraged to come and participate. And they had a bunch of, uh, you know, drag performers you know, grace the stage and, and uh, you know, gyrate and writhe and splay their crotches for everybody. No, I'm not kidding. That's, that's really, literally what was going on. Oh, and they had such clever names. Uh, who's this one? Jenna. Ah, yes, Jenna Talia. Ha, 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 ha. Oh, this is perfect for children. Kids are going to love it. Yeah, I'm not even going to name some of the other ones. I mean, it was just, there, there's some really questionable stuff going on. And this weekend in Boise, Idaho, because the month of June wasn't enough for expressing pride, now uh, they're, they're having a big pride festival. And apparently there was a lot of focus on, again, a family-friendly, kid-oriented drag event. In fact, they were inviting kids to come and, and participate in this drag show. Now, I get it. You know, some people are like, oh, it just sounds like innocent fun. But This time, there were a number of great big corporate sponsors, and this includes people like Zion's Bank. It includes, you know, other financial institutions. Here's the crazy thing, though. As word got out that this is going to be, you know, a special centerpiece of of the Pride event taking place in Boise, Idaho this weekend, a lot of these corporations, which had signed on as sponsors, because they're, you know, I don't know if I would say they're, they're absolutely woke, but let's just say they're very supportive of LGBT you know, uh, the, LG, the LGBT community. I think it's probably safe to say it that way. But they weren't aware 
of how much focus was going to be on children participating in this event. And so a number of these big sponsors have said, you know, uh, we're rethinking, actually, we're going to go ahead and pull our sponsorship. And they were very gentle in how they did this. I want you to understand, this was not about, boy, they're hating just as hard as anybody could hate anybody. There's no hate involved here. But there's been this huge surge of common sense in which people have recognized, hey, maybe this isn't the best thing to be promoting, you know, this uh, drag show for kids. And, and I'm sharing this with you because there's a pattern here that I think can be very clearly observed. And the pattern is this. The, the event organizers, of course, uh, very upset, you know, well, this is just bigotry. Why, this is just innocent family fun. But they went ahead and canceled the kid portion of the, the drag queen extravaganza. And the justification they did, are you, are you ready for this? You can probably already see where this is going. Well, we're sorry that we have to cancel this, but... In the interest of safety, we probably better do so. They're playing the victims. I mean, it's it's crass enough to pretend that, uh, hey, we're taking these very hyper-sexualized performers whose whole goal is to be a parody. It's This is the blackface of the, of the gender uh, identity movement. I'm going to dress up like this very exaggerated, very over-sexualized woman, even though I'm not a woman. And uh, and kids are going to participate, and we're going to have so much fun. And so what's this? Uh, the, the, the public is saying, hey, why are we doing Why do we have to have kids participating in this? That's not appropriate. Oh, well, that must mean that somebody on the political right is threatening violence. So I guess for the sake of safety, we're going to have to cancel this and, and we're going to have to make sure that, that we're protecting the performers and protecting everybody who's there. What an absolute load of fertilizer. And it's manipulative fertilizer at that, which is probably why I'm a little bit just a little bit red under the collar here thinking you guys are pathetic. And, and I'm very grateful at the same time. I, I, want, I want you to understand. I have this, uh, this sense of, oh, thank goodness. People haven't completely taken leave of their senses. People haven't completely been intimidated into silence over this kind of thing. Because I'm seriously wondering, how far would this go? And at what point would it take for, do I even dare say the word, normal people? to look around them and go, ooh, that's not right. That is not right. I mean, for crying out loud, in Texas, in Roanoke, Texas, they had a, a similar big drag queen extravaganza. Hey, this one's for the kids too. Only this time, Antifa came and stood around with a bunch of rifles, <laughs> protecting the performers and making sure that nobody, you know, had to, what do they call it? Uh, oh, there's there's a there's a Orwellian phrase for for wrong face where basically you're standing there with your the look on your face says it all like I can't believe this crap <laughs> I can't believe what I'm seeing in front of me but yeah Antifa was there to to protect or to intimidate depending on your point of view no word of whether Antifa was going to provide security in in Provo as, as far as I know they didn't but I got to wonder if now you're going to see a bunch of little volunteers coming up in their black block gear and, and uh, we're here to protect and provide safety for everybody in Boise. Look, I'm not going to tell you this is how you have to think. But at some level, we've got to stay in touch with reality. And the reality is this. I'm not going to pick just on, on the people who are, you know, into uh, being the drag performer or for that matter, you know, gender identity problems or transgenderism or whatever. 
But when we get to the point where a society is focused so heavily on very sexualized things, and, and please, people who say, Brian, this isn't about sexualizing children, you must be some kind of a pervert to even think such a thing. Look, I've seen the picture. My friend Dustin from the Idaho Freedom Foundation um, took a screenshot right off the volunteer page of the Boise Pride Festival. And yeah, here's a group of teenagers standing around and, aha, look at the fun they're having. And what, what's, what's, what's that kid got in his mouth? Oh, that's just a rainbow-colored penis-shaped lollipop. <laughs> nothing sexual about that. No, sir, there's nothing wrong. This is, this is all good. As you can tell, I, I'm i tired of having been force-fed this agenda. I know I'm not the only one. And, and for, for me to say out loud, gosh, I'm tired of this. And, and, I'm, and I'm not just tired, but I'm actually very openly concerned about what this is doing in terms of trying to twist young minds, trying to encourage them, hey, explore your own gender identity or your own limits of your sexuality. Let them be kids. We don't get to be innocent for very long, okay? This world is is just standing there like a gauntlet to be run, and, and, it, and reality starts beating on us, and it intrudes on us as kids, and very quickly, our innocence disappears. I think most of us can, can remember as kids growing up. It doesn't take very long before, you know, the seedy parts of life make themselves known. Kids have such a limited amount of time to actually enjoy the innocence of childhood. Why would we want to take that away from them? In the name of we're just celebrating diversity and inclusivity and 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 uh, tolerance, I'm just grateful that at least for some people, there is a limit. And and I I guess that's that's going to hurt some people's feelings. I don't care. Right does not stop being right. Wrong does not stop being wrong. Wickedness does not stop being wickedness. Just because some people are thinking, hey, but this is fun. Ha, let's get the kids involved. We need to show love, and I mean unconditional, you know, Christ-like, charitable love toward one another. But that doesn't mean that, uh, therefore, the world can have no limits or no boundaries or, or for that matter, um, do I dare say it, rules about what's appropriate and what isn't. And frankly, societies that blur those lines or that decides that the pursuit of pleasure is the highest priority of everything, they have a common fate doesn't matter whether they're big or small societies. When pleasure-seeking becomes the primary driving force of their society, their civilization declines without exception. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Garage Door Pros is one of my sponsors. I'll have Seth on the program, I hope, next week. He is the owner of Garage Door Pros, located in St. George, Utah, serving St. George, Cedar City, Mesquite, Nevada, and Colorado City with installation, service, and repair of garage doors of every type and size, including insulated garage doors and commercial service as well as residential. You can go to their website at garagedoorproservices.com. If you do go to their website, take a minute and just see what their customers are saying about them. You can learn a lot from customer reviews. And their customers make it very clear. These guys take care of us. They have quick response. They go the extra mile. That's garagedoorproservices.com.
All right, so I kind of got a lot off my chest in that first segment there about uh, what what I've seen happening, you know, in in my current home state of Idaho, and I again, I'm I'm happy to see that people are still able to stand up, and frankly, I think everybody who has stood up and said, "Ooh, I don't think this is right," has been very civil about it. There's been no violence, there've been no threats of violence, but. That's kind of how the game is played. Well, but I'm a victim because you're you're abusing me. You're violating me with your different point of view or by refusing to acquiesce to what I'm telling you you have to think. I guess the point here is hell hath no fury like a social justice warrior who's been misgendered or been denied an audience. And I'm going to include in today's show notes a link to the Good Citizen substack about misgendering tyranny. Subtitled, The Cult of Social Justice is Accumulating Tremendous Power. And for the left, with great power comes, not great responsibility, but greater tyranny. Now, there's a great uh, article here, or a great uh, story that starts. (laughs) This is uh, Pleasanton Gazette, local crime reporting, April 21st, 1868. On Friday of the week past, a strange boy came upon the local schoolhouse and caused quite a sensation and by some accounts a violent ruckus. The schoolboys had gathered in the meadow behind the schoolhouse for their daily recess activities. After the winter thaw, they were overcome with the tremendous eagerness to resume playing the team sport of baseball. The strange boy, age nine, is a new arrival to Harrison County Schools. The boy had just witnessed a male teacher in the outhouse attending to his business. He claimed the door was slightly ajar and witnessed the teacher quickly proceed inside to pee sitting down. Now, that strange boy is a new arrival from a country where it's still not against the country, the county legal code to pee standing up. When addressing another boy about what he witnessed, the real crime was committed. The schoolmaster, Wilson McCuthers, issued a written apology to the school children, their parents, and the community, and asked that we publish it here for the public record. Quote, It is unfortunate that a boy with different views was allowed near the children whose safety and security were not adequately protected. We are taking all measures and precautions to ensure that no child with differing views that may be deemed offensive or violent by other children is permitted within any harmful distance of the school grounds. Any utterances made by this child will be investigated by local authorities for violations of harmful speech codes. We have asked community neighbors to be vigilant and alert the the appropriate authorities if any such person, again, breaches our newly established county safe space. End quote. The boy is being held without the possibility of bail bond, and it's rumored his guardians refused to claim him. His father has since disowned him. We are unable to republish the offending speech uttered by the boy in these columns, but the subject matter pertains to the improper use of another pupil's preferred pronouns, resulting in harmful misgendering. Support groups have been established at the school gymnasium that will be available till the commencement of summer vacation. Any boy or girl who is in the vicinity of this crime can seek trauma assistance at this location. Local Justice James W. Peterson is considering a series of public struggle sessions as a penalty for the boy in lieu of incarceration, which might include public peeing while seated and being forced to memorize the preferred pronouns of all residents of Harrison County. We will further update the community as new information becomes available. I know, you're thinking, okay, that's this is argument to the absurd, right? But is it? Because the good citizen follows this up with a number of actual news stories. Look at these headlines. How to report a tweet for dead naming or misgendering someone. It's really easy, and it matters. Or Kansas teacher sues district over preferred pronouns policy. 
By the way, that teacher says, misgendering a child can seriously impact their self-confidence and mental health. Here's another one. Bank reportedly bans customer for questioning presence of rainbow flag on app. And then there's this. Country music fans might be familiar with this one. Jason Aldean's wife, Brittany Aldean's transphobic comment is now affecting Jason Aldean's career. This is because Aldean's wife, Brittany, wrote last week in an Instagram post that she would really like to thank my parents for not changing my gender when I went through my tomboy phase. Now, the point here that the good citizen is making is questioning the cult symbols of the pride order now results in corporate retribution by financial institutions, standing up for defenseless children who are being groomed into gender confusion and life-altering physical damage through surgeries and chemical trans- chemical castration, rather. Well, that's considered transphobic. By the way, there is a link in this story to the full documentary of Matt Walsh's What is a Woman? I know I've talked to a number of people who have been like, ah, I want to watch it, I just, I just don't want to pay 10 bucks, you know, to, to the Daily Wire. Well, here you go. The full-length movie is that it's so worth your time, too. Now, The Good Citizen says the reactionary culture pendulum always swings back. It didn't stop when it should have in 2012 or 2005 or any time over the past decade on its hard swing left because those in power who stand to benefit will never cease using its momentum in acquiring more power. Just how far and how hard it swings back in the years ahead that's going to depend on how much the busybody, safety-first, mentally ill hall monitors of cultural demolition continue to push their social justice madness in its last days. I like this acknowledgement here, by the way. This is a, this is a season, okay? It's not going to last. This is not the new normal in the sense that, boy, it's permanent and this is how it's going to be forevermore. It's not. It's a fad. Maybe I could put it another way. What goes up quickly comes down quickly. The Good Citizen says the racist and homophobic accusations now mean nothing to a growing number of Generation Z. This is how it was always going to end. The slurs now instantly evaporate into the arrogant air of the false do-gooder, and its targets shrug and stare unblinkingly into the disbelieving eyes of the emotionally fragile and indoctrinated accusers, as if taking a time machine back to the halls of American schools circa 1985. By the way, there's a, there's a video here of, uh, of a kid uh, being asked, so uh, you don't support uh, BLM or LGBTQ? What, you're racist and homophobic? And to his credit, the kid says, yeah, what of it? <laughs> he doesn't sit there and try to argue. Oh, no, no, I'm a sensitive new age guy. I'm, I'm down with everything. He just, it's like, yeah, whatever. So the point here is the forces of radical culture will always be countered by the forces of reactionary culture. But for the restoration of sanity and common sense, that reaction can't come soon enough. And maybe the radicals will cross the Rubicon by halting its inevitable return and hold the pendulum in place by criminalizing speech about misgendering or deadnaming. Being found guilty by the social justice mob already equates with professional ostracization and financial retribution. Which is why, as with the vaccine mandate intimidation last year, so many people prefer to remain silent instead of risking speaking their minds. If criminalization ever results from the social justice mob taking full control of Western judicial systems, the consequences will be staggering. Those who don't support the cultural terrorists' cause du jour will be forced into re-education camps or public struggle systems. 
Now, acceptable political views change over time, but this is a lot more than that. Overton windows are for complacent midwits who still think that such things exist with so much fear permeating society that results in self-censorship and chilling of speech. There's going to be a pendulum wrecking ball to smash the ideological tyranny building across the West. So all the blacklisting and the censoring and mob calls for violence and retribution, even those against the best-selling children's book author of all time, J.K. Rowling, only those ignorant of history are going to be surprised by the arrival of this wrecking ball. The rest of us are going to say, hey, we were fine with live and let live, but you kept pushing and pushing and wouldn't leave us alone. We told you to let it go. You should have let it go. Maybe you can picture Rambo holding his knife to the sheriff's neck as he says that. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Do want to mention HSLAmmo.com as well as uh, LifesavingFood.com, two of my fine sponsors that I would like to encourage you to consider doing business with. I think the names are pretty self-explanatory. Food storage, emergency preparedness supplies, high-quality new and remanufactured ammunition. Yeah, I think you could cover a lot of bases between those two. So in the last segment, I was sharing this uh, this link from the Good Citizen Substack, which if you haven't subscribed, you really should consider doing this. This is this is some of the best and 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 um, most humorous straight up truth. See, truth doesn't have to be all uh, Mike Wallace from sixty Minutes kind of you know hard eyed questions. It uh, it can sometimes uh, take the form of memes that speak to a particular truth or somebody who's just willing to say, look, I'm I'm going to just say this straight without caring whether or not uh, I'm I'm using the the proper fluffy euphemisms that will protect people's feelings. There's one thing left from that uh, article I wanted to share with you, and it was a quote from Alexander Solzhenitsyn. I thought this seemed especially appropriate today, especially when you combine it with the question, are we living this quote? Solzhenitsyn said, the permanent lie becomes the only safe form of existence. Every wag of the tongue can be overheard by someone, every facial expression observed by someone. Therefore, every word, if it does not have to be a direct lie, is nonetheless obliged not to contradict the general common lie. There exists a selection of ready-made phrases, of labels, a selection of ready-made lies. This is why Solzhenitsyn was so absolutely adamant about live not the lie. That's a conscious decision each one of us gets to make. When everybody around us is repeating the lie, because, you know, that's what people do, and that's in the mainstream, and you don't want to be out there on the fringes, you know, saying things that aren't part of what everybody knows, right? We saw this with COVID. We've seen it with uh, the election from 2020. We're seeing it with all the LGBTQ and transgender stuff. There's a lot of lies we're expected to participate in, and it takes guts not to participate, not to speak the lie, not to give it legs or validation. The only downside is that by, by continuing to remain in touch with reality and refusing to embrace the lie, you will be punished. Sorry, but that's, that's the time that we live in. This is the state of our culture and our society. And it's not always going to be this way, but for now, that's how it is. 
And I'll go back and echo what uh, Paul Rosenberg has said, uh, you know, which is if you're not willing to suffer for your beliefs, you must not be a believer of much depth. Now, some people may take that as an insult. Other people will take it as, well, that's, you know, I need to step up and become a person of greater depth. That's how I take it. But you're going to have to toughen up your skin and you're going to have to get used to taking the blows that come from standing up for truth. Again, I'm going to defer to Solzhenitsyn on this, and his take was not only live not the lie, but he was like, look, let the lie come. Let it even triumph. In other words, let let it take hold where everybody believes it, but not through me. And that's where your influence actually is a lot bigger than you might think. Now, kind of piggybacking off this, I want to share an article from John John Rappaport, who is one of the key individuals who helped me to see through, especially network news, manipulation of truth. And learning to see through the deception and the manipulation of reality, that is not an easy task. First of all, because we don't want to believe that we're being manipulated, right? I mean, at some level, we'd have to admit, okay, I've been suckered. Nobody wants to feel stupid. Nobody wants to be wrong. But this has been done for such a long time and on such a mass scale. Yeah, at some point, you, you really need to break free of it if you want to be a free individual. So John Rappaport explains the five stages of baloney and how to recognize when that's what you're being sold. So it starts with a conversation. Hey, Mike, make up an order of eight pounds of baloney to go. Sure, you want the cheap stuff? No, 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 this is for the upcoming election. I need the good brand. Okay, are you lying about your opponent or pumping, pumping up the moron in your own party? Both. Okay, that's the special. I'll have to order it. It'll take three days. <laughs> Trends and memes come and go. At one time, you'd see the top 10 reasons why that faded out. Now we get the five stages of. So John Rappaport says, I am chiming in with my own five big stages. One, you conceive the idea of creating baloney. Two, you pick an issue around which you're going to wrap baloney. Three, you make the baloney. Four, you wrap it around the issue. Five, you sell it to a hungry audience. But it's still baloney. Now, he says, in the field of propaganda, baloney acquires its value from the vital issue it's wrapped around. So, climate change, for example. He says, come closer. here's, Here's the secret. Here's the trick. When you perform it adroitly, the issue itself is baloney to begin with. And once you've sold that, you can surround it with many more layers of baloney like tree rings. Well, it's a real issue, but the nonsense accumulating around it is pathetic. No, He says, in in certain key instances, the core issue isn't real. A good pro knows to wrap baloney around baloney. That's why he earns his big paycheck. Okay, so take racism. It's presently defined as white people. All white people are racists. That's the issue. It's framed in universal terms, no exceptions, and it's baloney. Then comes critical race theory, which is tonnage of supermarket baloney dedicated to explaining how and why all white people are racist and what must be done about it. Well, then, uh, white people are all racists. Yes, certainly, but I'm not sure killing them all is the proper solution. Or how about this one? Yes, the virus is certainly real and it spreads from person to person like lightning, but the death rate has been exaggerated and the lockdowns weren't the right response. Now, John Rappaport says no. Death rate and lockdowns are baloney wrapped around the inner core of baloney because, he says, the virus isn't real. It was never isolated, 
meaning discovered, and every so-called symptom of so-called COVID can be explained without reference to a virus. In covert intelligent ops, the outer layers of baloney are sometimes exposed and called baloney as a strategy of confession. Yes, we made mistakes when we did X, Y, and Z, but the mission itself was absolutely necessary. This is called a limited hangout. You admit to creating a few problems, and this convinces the public that they know the whole story, but they don't. In fact, the mission itself wasn't necessary. It was a crime, and it's still ongoing. Look, we have censored voices that have every right to speak. We were too aggressive. We apologize and we'll try to do better. We're restoring certain accounts that were deleted. That's the limited hangout. But the social media platform is still censoring huge numbers of accounts for political reasons. They expo exposed a few slices of outer baloney but kept the inner core of baloney. Okay, here's another one. In our recent article on climate change, we mentioned landfills and may have imparted the impression that these horrendous collections of garbage are a lesser threat. That was not our intention. We were pointing out that the dangers associated with climate change are greater than those posed by landfills. John Rappaport says, no, that's a limited hangout. Here's the real inner core. Landfills can be reduced by 90% through the use of cutting-edge incinerators. Now, these processing plants release compounds through their filtered smokestacks that are far less problematic than the total of garbage sitting in huge landfills around the world. But radical environmentalists don't want that solution, and they never will. They want nothing short of environmental devastation, ultimately forcing humans on a depopulated planet to go back to living in the woods and digging for roots and tubers, a.k.a. the natural life. Baloney wrapped and packaged around baloney. I like the fact that he's using several different examples to, to illustrate this. And there are probably a lot more. And by the way, you might disagree with John Rappaport on, well, there is no such thing as a coronavirus. I don't know the answer to that. I'm going to assume from the different doctors that, that I've heard from, people like uh, Dr. Robert Malone, Dr. Peter McCullough, among others, that uh, there probably is a virus. Again, I don't know. But I still believe what John Rappaport here is saying is very, very true in the sense that we are being manipulated and lied to on so many different levels. It's really hard sometimes to see through it. Now, John runs a website called No More Fake News. And he really has some great insights into particularly how our network news operates. I think it was John who introduced me to the idea that, you know, when something big happens, a school shooting or something like that, it's the news anchors who act as the high priests and high priestesses of, you know, our, our information religion. And the fact that, oh, look, they're in Uvalde, Texas, tells us the most important thing in the world right now is happening here. And then these high priests and priestesses tell us how we're supposed to feel about whatever it is that's going on. Now, I know we might be tempted to explain it away. Oh, Brian, they're just on location doing their job reporting the news. Are you sure about that? Because it really does feel like, uh, when, when you look at it in the context that John Rappaport explains, it feels more like, uh, no, this is, uh, this is a very deliberate effort to frame a particular news story in a way that leads the audience to a very predictable conclusion. This is what you must think. This is how you should feel. Here's what needs to happen. Usually followed by words like common sense gun control, which translated means only the government should have guns. 
By the way, if you've studied history, you know that's not common sense at all. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I've got three wonderful articles to uh, round things out today. Just going to touch briefly on a couple of them. One of them is from a writer by the name of Chuck Schalberg, wondering what explains the modern hostility to the family. This was published on intellectualtakeout.org. And it's, it's very, very worthwhile a uh, lot of quotes of lots of quotes from G.K. Chesterton. If you're not familiar with uh, Chesterton, very very brilliant thinker from about a hundred years ago or a little bit more, that uh, really makes the case that uh, you know the family is much more important than we think. Sometimes, in fact, um, there's a quote here about how Chesterton reminded his readers marriage was the only voluntary state on earth. In fact, it's the only real state that creates and loves its citizens. And if such states are to flourish, well, if a family's to remain a family, Chesterton was confident that each of its members could survive all the vast changes, all the deadlocks and disappointments which make up mere political history. But if the family is disintegrating, trouble loomed. Chesterton cautioned if the family fails, it is as certain as death that the state will fail its members. Pretty powerful stuff. Some nice historical perspective as well. I hope you'll check it out. Also, I've got a great article here. This is from AmericanThinker.com. Brian Bombalo, the best way to make sure children fail. Now, he's talking specifically about education, but he has some suggestions. Five ways that school systems, educators, and parents can tackle the issue of failure avoidance. And specifically what he's talking about here is we have this this reliance on, well, now nobody should fail. Everybody should get gold stars. Everybody should be socially promoted. You know, nobody ever should fail. I got to admit, I've spent way too much of my life being failure averse to the point where there's things like, oh, I don't want to try that. And if I really was honest with myself, well, why don't you want to try that? Well, because I might fail. We're way too scared of failure, but it can be a good thing. So these are the suggestions that Brian Bombalo has. He says, you hold students accountable for their academic responsibilities. Stop social promotions. Resist putting the social and economic needs or emotional rather needs of a student disproportionately above his academic needs. Do not purposely set students up for failure by treating education as a one size fits all. That's super important. And I like this last one. Instead of failure avoidance, treat failure as an opportunity. Reason being, there's always a lesson to be learned in failure. Now, sometimes it's a painful lesson. Other times it could be something simple, like I cannot properly cook a pizza simply by, or cook a pizza faster, but simply by turning up the temperature in the oven. Regardless, there's always a lesson. When we start to think of failure as an opportunity to grow, the fear that causes avoidance may just transform into the courage you need to move forward. I like that. It's also kind of a good habit to get into. If you fail at something, you know, I wanted to learn how to, gosh, what would it be? I wanted to learn how to uh, weave underwater baskets, (laughs) whatever it may be, but I failed at it. That doesn't make you a failure. Now, it could mean I failed at weaving underwater baskets, but own that. Okay, I failed at that. But you know what I found out? 
I suck at making underwater baskets, but you know what I'm really good? I can paint. Maybe if I had been really good at doing underwater basket weaving, you know, I never would have picked up a paintbrush. You get the picture. Failure is a part of life. There's always a lesson involved. And all it represents is not an end. Okay, you failed. You're done. Game over, man. It's just a new starting point. Kind of a healthy way to look at it. And I'm, I'm utterly ashamed at how long it took me to learn that lesson. All right, final note here, and this is where I want to spend the bulk of my remaining time. Sharing and perpetuating liberty for the generations that follow us can be super rewarding. It can also be terribly discouraging when you realize how many people just, they don't care. They're just apathetic. I don't care. It's not my my thing. Dan Sanchez has an excellent piece for the Foundation for Economic Education about how to illuminate and how to be a keysmith for liberty. But he has a caution here. He says, blessed are the humble, for they shall illuminate the earth, but we got to be careful that we don't become intellectual authoritarians. He says, most libertarians are converts. Very few were inculcated from childhood in the freedom philosophy. Most of us were indoctrinated by the education system to believe in big government. Leonard Reed, founder of the Foundation for Economic Education, discussed such turning points in Liberated. It's a 1962 essay published in the Notes from Fee newsletter and included in the final chapter of his great book, Elements of Libertarian Leadership. Reed described it as an intensely personal experience, the moment of liberation, the breakthrough. Now, the breakthrough can feel like an intellectual prison break. Our minds are suddenly freed from the dungeon of dogma. The cell door swings open and the light floods in, as Reed wrote. He said, once this opening has taken place, old ideas take on a different perspective and new ideas come into one's comprehension. Seen starkly in the new light, our former interventionist assumptions look absurd, and once obscure libertarian truths are now clear as day. This sudden illumination, as Reed called it, might be generated by reading a book or listening to a lecture series. For some, reading an essay is all it takes. One such essay that's helped a lot of people see the light, for instance, is Reed's own I Pencil essay. Now, in that essay, Reed revealed the market economy for the wonder that it is by tracing the family tree of a humble pencil. And he demonstrated how transforming raw materials like timber, aluminum, ore, etc. into a seemingly simple pencil is a vastly complex process involving the cooperation of millions of individual producers, lumberjacks and axe manufacturers, truckers and oil drillers, and this mega collaboration has no central plan or central planner. No mastermind, as Reed put it. Indeed, no single mind could even begin to manage the manifold details of the operation. And this essay has revealed to multitudes the miracle of the market. And seeing such a wondrous phenomenon with our mind's eye fills us with awe and renders us properly humble. It makes plain the hubris of socialism and interventionism, the sheer epistemological arrogance of thinking that bureaucrats know enough to centrally plan a pencil, much less an industry, much less an economy. We are forever disabused of what we may call the mastermind fallacy. It instills in us what Reed called in Elements an unwavering faith in free men and frees us from any lingering, misplaced confidence in little men playing God. Now, Dan Sanchez says, So liberated we become eager to liberate others from the mastermind fallacy and thus free the world from the would-be masterminds who tyrannize it. With the zeal of a convert, we go around proselytizing, 
maybe to our family and friends, maybe to strangers on the internet, and to our bafflement, our efforts are met with rejection. Like the denizens of Plato's cave, our audience not only shuns the light, but resents us for trying to release them from their ideological prison. Voltaire wrote, It is difficult to free fools from the chains they revere. Dan Sanchez says, We keep trying the lock of their dogmatic dungeon, but we keep failing. We get frustrated, then we get angry, then we get mean, and we let them know they're fools for conspiring in their own captivity and villains for endorsing ours. And in the heat of verbal battle, we forget what we set out to do in the first place. The worthy aim of liberation gradually gives way to the vain urge to aggravate those who refuse to be liberated. We offer fewer ideas and more barbs, and the other side responds in kind, and what was supposed to be a contest of ideas becomes a clash of egos. And when egos are on the line, everyone becomes more entrenched in their position. Eventually, someone storms off and it's over. And what have we accomplished? Nothing but resentment for us and for the ideas we sought to represent. Instead of opening minds, we actually hardened hearts against liberty. Not good. Frederick Bastiat wrote, The worst thing that can happen to a good cause is not to be skillfully attacked, but to be ineptly defended. So from here, Dan Sanchez examines what went wrong. How could an intellectual journey with such a beautiful beginning turn so ugly? And he said it's most often because we forgot what made it beautiful in the first place. Leonard Reed wrote, There is the inevitable temptation, once a person comes into possession of ideas new to him, to inflict the new wisdom on others, to reform them, to make them over in his own image. But if we think back to our own liberation, we will recall that ultimately it was an act of self-emancipation. Someone may have guided you, but their efforts would have been futile without your own active and voluntary participation in your own enlightenment. As Reed wrote, the gaining of wisdom or the understanding of freedom is not imposed by man upon men, nor can it be. And this is where Dan Sanchez spells out what it means to become a keysmith for liberty. And it starts with shoring up your own understanding and, and recognizing that the more you tend to making your own flame burn brighter, rather than trying to, you know, put fuel on somebody else's flame, the more people are going to be illuminated by what you are doing. Does that make sense? You've got to know your stuff and know it well enough and, and be able to share it well enough with those who want to hear it that you don't have to go around, you know, like a like a traffic cop looking for somebody who's doing something. Hey, 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 you, I'm going to write you a ticket for freedom. No, it's going to make you free. Hey, come back. Where are you going? <laughs> It's something they're going to have to discover for themselves. We just have to show them it's worthwhile. This is The Brian Hyde Show.